Welcome to the Collective Impact Forum podcast, here to share resources to support social change makers working on cross-sector collaboration. The Collective Impact Forum is a nonprofit field-building initiative and online community that is co-hosted in partnership by the nonprofit consulting firm FSG and the Aspen Institute Forum for Community Solutions. In this episode, we are doing a deep dive discussion on the common agenda, including exploring what is a common agenda and what do you need to think about when forming one. One note for listeners, this one episode is made up of two parts. One part that we recorded before the pandemic that explores the foundations of the common agenda, and one part we recorded recently to discuss how your common agenda might change during the ongoing events related to the pandemic, the economic downturn, and the movement to support Black lives. We'll announce during the episode when we shoot forward in time. One reminder for listeners, for any resources referenced in this discussion, we've included links to those in the footnotes for this episode, so feel free to check those out if it's helpful. Hello, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us today. This is Tracy Timmons-Gray. I'm the Community and Program Associate Director at the Collective Impact Forum. I'm looking forward to today's podcast. For those that are just joining us today, the Collective Impact Forum is not just a podcast. We are also a field-building nonprofit initiative that is hosted in partnership by FSG and the Aspen Institute Forum for Community Solutions. And you can find us at collectiveimpactforum.org. In today's discussion, we are diving into one of the conditions of collective impact, which is approach around cross-sector collaboration for social change. And one of those conditions, it's a really important one, it's around the common agenda. I'm so delighted to, to dive into that today with my Collective Impact Forum teammates. Uh, in today's discussion, we are talking with Executive Director of the Collective Impact Forum, Jennifer Splansky-Juster, and Director of Programs of the Collective Impact Forum, Robert Albright. Jen, Robert, so happy for you to join us today. Thanks, Tracy. Good to be on with you and with you, Robert, too. Thanks. Good to talk to you both. Great. So why don't we just dive in? But first, I think we have a, a couple starters around the, the common agenda, and I'm going to use uh, air quotes around that. What is, maybe for everyone who's joining us for the first time today, we did do an episode earlier on that kind of went into the, all the conditions of collective impact that's under the title of getting started. What is collective impact? Uh, or we started going into the common agenda. But maybe for those who are just joining today, we could kind of do a definition of like what is the common agenda and, and why is it so important? Sure, I can jump in. So the common agenda is... When we talk about it at a high level, we talk about getting a group of stakeholders who've come together to do work uh, from across different sectors and different life experiences and backgrounds, getting that group to think about a shared understanding of the problem that they're working to address and a shared agreement on what everyone is going to do together. And there's a lot of nuance in there that we'll talk about throughout the episode here. But the thing that I want to emphasize is that the common agenda itself is both the results, so what is it that we are trying to accomplish, but it's also the process of getting that broad, diverse group of folks to understand each other's perspectives and come to agreement about the goal that folks are going to accomplish and how, as a collaborative, the group is going to make that progress. So it's about building the trust and the relationships and the deepening understanding of others in the room, the realities that they bring, the experiences that they've had, and the range of contributions and root causes related to the issue. So it's, I think about it as both the product of having a common agenda and the process of getting there. It sounds like the common agenda is, I mean, I know all the conditions 
are important to do collective impact work, but it sounds like this one is one of the most critical because it's one of the most, this is the one that's kind of kicking things off and getting people together. Is, is that correct? Yeah, I think this is where you start building the trust and relationships and agreeing upon what you all are going to work on together. And so it's sort of intuitive that this is an important place to start. And I'd also point to findings from a study that was done a couple of years ago by the organization's ORS Impact and Spark Policy. They published a report called When Collective Impact Has an Impact, and they looked at 25 different collective impact initiatives across the U.S. and Canada. And they were really looking at when collective impact initiatives make progress and achieve their goals, what were some of the key contributors to that success? And of the five conditions, there were two that really stood out as most essential in that study. And the very first one is having a common agenda. And it's having a common agenda that is widely agreed upon and widely understood by the range of stakeholders who are involved in the collaborative. So I know I tease you there too. The other one was also having a robust backbone that is supporting the work. So we'll do another podcast on the backbone, but that's a great study to look at some of the nuance around how the common agenda really can contribute to progress. For those wondering, we will include a link to that report in the footnotes in case you're curious, or if you want to look it up, it's called When Collective Impact Has an Impact, uh, and it's available for download from our site. Is it possible, I know we gave some examples of common agendas in an earlier episode, but is there any we could quickly go over to just for those that are joining us for the first time today and they're like, well, what is a common agenda? Like, does anyone can give a quick example? Why don't I I first just talk about some of the questions that we often see people try to answer when they're determining a common agenda, and then we can walk through one or more examples to, to make that more real. You know, one question that often comes up around, you know, how are we going to work together, which we often talk, talk about as guiding principles. So before you even jump into what are we going to focus on, it's important to have some, some just clear alignment among partners around how are we going to work together uh, at this partnership table. So one is guiding principles. A, a second aspect of the common agenda is defining the problem and setting boundaries. So a, a question you might ask there is what's in and what's out for what we're going to focus on as a collaborative. So that's the second aspect of the common agenda. A third is you, you usually see collaboratives identify a goal, which would be, you know, how are we going to define success? So you can think about that as a third question to ask. So what are we ultimately aiming towards? A fourth aspect of the common agenda is what we often call the framework for change. And the question you might be asking here is, how are we going to split up the work and prioritize what we're going to work on together? So there's a lot that sits in there, but that's an important one. And then the last one is having some sort of plan for learning, which is really asking the question, how are we going to track progress and learn over time? So those are the five elements of the common agenda. Again, guiding principles, problem definition, goal framework for change and, and plan for learning. Five components. Good to know. Let's maybe let's dive into each of those individually. I think that that's always helpful and kind of grounding a, a little bit of what we're talking about. So the first one was right under guiding principles. Can we talk a little bit more about that? Sure. And and that's the one that's about more of the how are we going to work together and it's it's getting clear among partners what are our shared values. What are we actually, how are we going to show up as a group of partners? So I'm thinking specifically about some work with an economic development collaborative uh, in North Carolina that was focused on bringing more women into science and technology, engineering and math fields. And they spent some time in one of their very early meetings 
saying, what are the things that we are, are going to hold each other accountable to? So it was things like we're going to be fully present in these meetings. We're going to bring an equity lens to this to identify disparities. We're going to um, take more of an asset-based approach to how we think about this and not be kind of accusing people of not advancing, but actually looking at root causes and, and the, the potential for people to advance, for women in particular to advance in these careers. So that's an example of a group that before they even got into what's our geographic focus, what's the you know, specific strategies and goals, what are those things that we want to step back and say, these are kind of our rules of, of engagement among partners. And then it's really important to come back to those guiding principles uh, at the beginning of each meeting to really anchor the conversation uh, each time. Hmm. This brings up a good question that I, I wonder if it, it, like it would might even be good to even start the, with this question, which is, when do, we, when do we start doing this step? Have you already gathered your partners in the room, like the cross-sector leaders and et cetera? Like when does this step come into place? The common, either the creating the common agenda step and also the, as you talk about the guiding principle step. You know, I think it can come up often in, in parallel to the, the next aspect of the common agenda where you're trying to define the problem. I think if you haven't yet done any defining of the problem, it can be a little hard to know, well, who should be in the room to have the conversation about what our guiding principles are as a group. But I think that's one way as I think back to this example, this economic development example, they had already had some conversations around, okay, what is the focus of this forming, early stage forming collaborative? And they knew they wanted to focus in a particular county. They knew they wanted to focus on STEM, science, technology, engineering, and math. So they had started to define the problem, but before they got much further, they said, we need to be really clear on what are some of those kind of rules of engagement as we work together as a group. And then they also, as they got more specific on that second aspect of the common agenda around defining the problem, that also brought into greater focus who else should be at that table that maybe wasn't at the very beginning. And maybe I'll just add one thing um, that is I think helpful to keep in mind when we're talking about the whole common agenda conversation is we haven't really talked about like who is involved in this process, right? Who is the we when we're thinking about a group that's setting a common agenda? And what we see with most collective impact initiatives is that there are varying kind of uh, components of the overall governance and people are participating in different ways. And so often what we see with a common agenda is there is uh, some sort of um, leadership table or steering committee that it comes together as Robert was just describing. And that is the group that will sort of hold the responsibility for setting that common agenda. And it should be representative of the population that the work is looking to engage with. It should be representative across sectors. And we can talk more at another time about um, inclusion and who should be part of the steering committee. But that steering committee sort of holds the process for identifying and solidifying a common agenda and monitoring it over time. And that is not the only set of individuals who are providing input into co-creating that common agenda. So when done well, I would say this, this common agenda setting process is very uh, intentional about bringing lots of different voices in. We've talked on some of these podcasts about elevating the voice of individuals with lived experience as part of the quote, data collection process. So when you're using data to define the boundaries and the problem and some of the other components we'll talk about, 
we're not only talking about looking at data, but conversations with people with lived experience and community members and residents as part of that. So it's not as though there's a leadership table or steering committee that locks itself in a room and does this in isolation. It's very much in iteration and in co-creation with a broader set of folks. Well, that's interesting. And, and, uh, and I'm assuming you know, it can be re really helpful as, re as a steering committee is, is working together on this agenda as you say, is to make, ensure that community voice is part of that group. And I can it's even see that being a good part of being within the a guiding principle, for instance, is how are being inclusive and ensuring that community voice is part of our process. I know you were mentioning that the another component of creating a common agenda was around boundaries and around what do you want to keep and what might be outside of our scope. Is that a difficult process? It sounds like it might be a challenge since for, I know for so many people coming to the table, there's just so much to work on. It can be difficult to trim down to, to be that goal. So I think it, it is a good question, Tracy, about if you're trying to define the problem, there's going to be certain people in the room who might be advocating for, well, let's take a broader view of the issue. And there might be other people in the room who have the opposite point of view, which is we need to be focused. And I think back to that example of that economic development collaborative, I remember there were two ends of that spectrum around the table. There was one person in particular who said being focused on one county and on this specific area of employment, that, that's great that we're focused, but I think we should be even more focused. I think we should focus on just one city, not at a county level. Um, or I think we should just focus on one industry within STEM. So let's just look at IT. So there's no easy answer there. I would just say it is a tension that you need to hold. I think one way that you can facilitate alignment among partners about defining the problem is to bring data into that conversation. And by data, I mean, it could be uh, quantitative data. If you're looking at the employment issue where you see disparities in people accessing certain careers and advancing in certain careers. So that might actually help you define the problem. If you can look at where there's greatest disparities in that instance on the economic development side too, it was really important to bring perspectives back to what Jen was saying about the voice of lived experience. So it was really important for other data to inform the conversation around problem definition to hear from women who had actually faced a lot of challenges in getting into um, IT and, and science related careers and, and what, what some of the barriers were to even if they got in, um, what it meant to, to not be able to advance. So I think bringing that data in can help. You're still going to have those, those tensions of people who want to go more focused and some who want to go broader. Uh, but if you can bring data to inform that conversation, that can help people lead to a, a more likely conclusion about where to focus. Out of the components so far, we've gone over guiding principles. We've discussed the, the need to define boundaries of the issue. And then you mentioned that the third component for when you were creating the common agenda is just the goal itself, which sounds like the key piece. Is, is, am I getting that correct? Well, I would say they're all key, uh, but I do think this is the area that when people think about a common agenda, this is probably typically what they think of, like that kind of single statement about what is it we're all here to accomplish. And so I do think this is what most folks first think of when they think about the common agenda. And so setting a goal is, of course, incredibly important. And we always encourage initiatives to think about a goal that can be measured and that is really kind of a balance of inspiring and audacious with attainable and also being mindful to bring considerations related to equity 
into the goal statement. So I can think about each of one of those. So in terms of choosing the the goal to measure, you know, that's where we come to naming what it is we're actually here to do. And so you take an example from South Texas, where there was a cross-sector collaborative focusing on addressing diabetes across the region. The goal that they identified for themselves, just as an example, is to reduce the number of new cases of type 2 diabetes. Then they made it time-bound, so in five years, such that that we cause a 10% reduction in the prevalence of diabetes by 2030. So that was their concrete, measurable, time-bound goal. So lots of folks call this a SMART goal and having the time bound and specific um, measurable piece is important. And then also the statement related to equity. And so in this case, as part of that goal, they also said that we're committed to doing this by integrating primary and behavioral health for people at risk of diabetes in our community with a particular emphasis of meeting the needs of low income and underserved populations. So another just example to read would be a goal from an education initiative that says something like, our goal is to double the number of students who are on track to graduate from college or career, excuse me, from college or earn a career credential by 2025, and that we're committed to doing nothing less than closing the unacceptable achievement gap for low-income students and children of color and increasing achievement for all students from cradle to college and career. So it's important to state the equity emphasis or the emphasis here on low-income students and children of color, because in some communities, you might actually be able to achieve your goal uh, by with not addressing, for example, racial disparities. And this community, and we would encourage communities to be very specific about having um, typically a racial equity target as part of your work so that you can ensure that you're working to address those who are historically been most marginalized in the work and not just achieve your goal while leaving that population behind. So we've gone over at the components, uh, we've gone over the the guiding principles, the defining boundaries, and the goal itself. And I know you had mentioned that there was a framework of change. And I always feel a little tense when I hear the word framework sometimes because we always get some feedback uh, from practitioners that we work with that sometimes there's an overabundance of frameworks in our sector and an over-reliance. I'd love to hear a little bit more about what, is this, what does this mean, a framework of change, and what do people need to think about when they're coming to the table to create this goal? I think one way you could make it sound more straightforward is that if the goal is ultimately the target you're shooting for, then the framework for change, quote unquote, is basically what you're going to do to achieve that goal. So it's the set of kind of key priorities that you want to work on as a collaborative. And there needs to be some sort of structure or some sort of way that you distribute or share leadership across different partners. And so that's how I think about it. This is really where the work of collective impact goes from the visioning or the kind of setting the long range target much more into implementation where you're actually seeing things like war groups that might form, for example. So you could take, let's make it more explicit. So take like a, maybe a diabetes collaborative that's working in a particular community. Maybe they've already set that, that long range goal. They've included that consideration for equity and then they actually build out some work groups. So there might be a work group that's focused on, you know, if they focus on the prevention end of the spectrum, there might be some education related activities that they want to do around diabetes prevention. So there may be an education work group that forms. 
that might be the one strategy. There may be another group that forms around data. So there may be different partners in that community that aren't talking to each other about why there are inequities and the prevalence of diabetes and maybe what certain interventions are or are not working. So you can see how in the framework for change, you're really just trying to get concrete and say, here are the maybe three or four key strategies that we're going to work on as a collaborative. And then you form essentially subgroups or work groups around those strategies to actually build your groups for action to see things change over time. So it's definitely more of an art than a science, but I think it is where the work goes from the higher level big goal into concrete action. Yeah, maybe I could just draw this connection to some things we've talked about in another episode where we talk about mutually reinforcing activities. And that's really the work of the collective. And the framework for change is unfortunately a jargony way of saying, this is how we're going to structure our work to do the mutually reinforcing activities. This is how we're going to structure our leadership and our engagement um, across the community to move forward towards our goals. That's so interesting. So it sounds like, so that you know, quote unquote framework for change is, is, as you all say, like really the conversations and strategies you've come together around your goal. You have to, you defined the different boundaries and things like that about what the goal is or what the goal isn't. But then, so the next part would be to then kind of to start the work around, you know, how are we going to get there? What are the activities we need? What are the structure, what are the governance and structures that we need in order to, to help us get to the common agenda that we're agreeing on? Mm-hmm. Yep. That sounds right. And I remember the the last one that y'all had mentioned around these this five components that we've been discussing around creating the common agenda is a plan for learning. Now, is this related to, I know we talked a few times around like embedding a value around continuous learning in your collective impact work and, or in your collaborative work and how much that can really support the success of your long-term goal. Is, is that similar to, con- to that continuous learning value? I think there are two things I would mention with a plan for learning. So one, Tracy, as you mentioned very much is creating the culture and some plans or processes for how the group is going to learn together. And in order to do that, you would need the second thing, which is actually a plan for what you're going to measure. So that can be uh, the shared measures that we've talked about in other podcasts. So what is it now that we have our goal? What are the things that we're going to measure along the way to know if we're making progress toward that goal? And then uh, to what you were just saying, like how are we, what are the processes we're going to use to learn from that? Whether that's a continuous quality improvement process, like a plan, do, study, act process, or I know some initiatives will use more of a Six Sigma approach, or there are many approaches to building learning in, Um, but we want to just emphasize the importance of being specific about what you're going to measure and creating both the culture and the plan for learning from that. And then we should definitely do an episode on measurement and evaluation for collective impact. But a high level, one thing I just would emphasize is that it's important to measure different types of changes at different points in time. So you will, of course, have your big picture goal that has a population level goal, and you will want to collect baseline data on that from the beginning and track progress. So that could be to the example I mentioned before, you know, that is going to be your high school graduation rate. And we know that it takes a very long time to move the needle on high school graduation rates. So what are some of the things that we need to measure in the nearer term to know if we're making progress towards that goal? So that could be things like third grade reading or eighth grade math. It could also be things like absenteeism or those types of other indicators and measures to know if we're making progress that we think will get us toward our goal. 
And then I would also just emphasize that it can be helpful to assess the health and development of the collaborative itself. So are we building trusting relationships? Do we actually have a clear and well understood common agenda? Are we really making progress on building the collaborative and the trust in relationships? So that's a different type of evaluation and learning, but also important in this large process. We've gone over this kind of those five components that is going into creating that common agenda. Uh, It sounds like quite the process. Are there things that specific things that people need to look out for that might challenge that process even more? You know, one thing that comes to mind, Tracy, and for sure this, it may sound straightforward if we lay out these five components, but it can go sideways at a lot of different points in the process. You know, one reason it might fall apart or be challenging, maybe not fall apart, but definitely be challenging is that you often have people around the table that have siloed perspectives just by nature of maybe their day jobs. They're thinking much more about their organization, or let's say that they work in the, on an early childhood collaborative and they work for an out-of-school-time mentoring nonprofit, they might be thinking much more about the what's happening out, out of school and not as much in the in-school environment. Or maybe they only work in one particular part of a city, but it's a, it's a city-wide or a county-wide initiative. It might be harder for them to think about what's happening in other parts of the county where the system might be more uh, disjointed or broken. Or if the person is, uh, you know, Another reason they could be siloed is that their organization has lost a major funder and they're really concerned about hitting their own budget for the year. And so not surprisingly, they're going to be thinking about their own organizational health before they would think about the health of the collaborative. So sometimes it can be challenging to get people to think about these bigger, quote unquote, system wide issues where you're trying to get people to not only bring their expertise and what they care about in their day jobs, but think about how that connects to other people around the table. Another thing that I think about with challenges is it's sort of related, Robert, to what you were just mentioning are misaligned incentives. And so you know, often stakeholders aren't incentivized to collaborate. So first of all, people aren't necessarily funded to collaborate. They're funded to often do the work that their organization it has historically done by, you know, public funding streams or from philanthropy or their, their own earned income. And so there's, first of all, the need to be able to carve out the time and hopefully get some funding for participation in the collaborative, if possible. But then there's misaligned incentives because often funders are looking to understand individual organizations' contributions in order to make the case for supporting that work and supporting it in the future. And so it's we have to recognize that those incentives can be in place and can cause some tension. And so a couple of things that I think I've seen collaboratives do to help address this this real tension. First, I think kind of building on what Robert was saying is helping people understand the systems view because sometimes it's not, sometimes the incentives are just not totally, you know, uh, appreciating the way that the work fits into a bigger picture because they've never had the opportunity to have those conversations that are broader than the work of a single organization. So spending time understanding the system view and the, the real contribution that your own organization or each organization makes to that big picture goal. And then I think a second thing that can help is um, engaging philanthropy from the onset. So bringing philanthropy along in the process to understand the priorities of the collaborative and the ways in which different 
participants are contributing to the goal uh, can bring philanthropy into the conversation about better aligning incentives. And so not incentivizing competition, but hopefully contributing to organizations collaborating and as part of that, recognizing the contribution that different organizations make without hoping or asking to see unique attribution on things that are really outside the scope or control of any single organization. So I think engaging funders early, having philanthropy, uh, hopefully shift the kind of contribution that they're looking for grantees to report on and make to something that is actually more realistic to working in a systems change type approach and an approach that is working with other organizations. And then also helping all of the participants to understand the role that different organizations play in contributing to the goal are some things that I've seen collaborations do to help um, work through some of the challenges related to incentives. I think if you're able to work on the incentives piece, it definitely helps with getting people out of the siloed mentality. I think it also helps with another barrier around trust, because if you're able to help people see okay, this is not just about my organization. It's about the great work that other people are doing. Uh, that can help people land on, on, on some shared motivations, which can help with building trust. I think other things that I've seen groups do with building trust is the, just the way you facilitate and structure the conversation so that multiple voices are being heard. If people are, are able to prioritize time outside of the meeting to build trust, we talked about that before, but it's a very just straightforward thing to to prioritize social hours afterwards or to do things apart from the meeting as people have time to prioritize one-on-one conversations outside of the meeting to build trust in smaller group settings. Like there's lots of ways that you can go about building trust to elevate. Another thing you can do is to elevate moments where there's been challenges or failures among partners, especially if you share that moment of learning across the group in different instances, that can also go a long way towards building trust. If, you create space for vulnerability and don't put that onus on just one person. So I think that's another reason why creating the common agenda can be hard. Uh, but if you're able to address the trust piece, that can also help as well. One other thing I just want to add about the common agenda in general is that I don't want to give the impression that this is some, uh, you work through identifying these five different components and then you write your common agenda down and then that is a fixed plan forever. Uh, The common agenda, because collaboratives here are working on really complex issues, the common agenda needs to evolve over time uh, to the point we were making before about learning as you go and adapting as you go. The common agenda, so the goal, the things that you're working on in your work groups that we talked about, uh, maybe reassessing whether your guiding principles still hold, all of those things can, can evolve over time. And so I think that I would, I would suggest getting to a good enough common agenda so that there is a shared understanding across people about what it is that we're here to do and why we're prioritizing it and how we all are contributing, but not uh, spend so long just crafting the perfect plan because that plan's going to need to adapt and change when you're working on something complex. So I would just mention that as we think about working through these challenges is that nothing, nothing is going to have to be set in stone forever and that we can do the best we can at any given point in time and then evolve. Yeah, it makes me think about the, some of the mindset shifts that we talked about in an earlier episode. And one of the first ones is moving from technical to adaptive. And 
I definitely do not want people to come out of this podcast thinking that the common agenda is a technical, a solely technical process. Of course, there is process involved, but there is the need to be flexible and adaptive, as you said, Jen. One thing I wanted to circle to that I think is probably another challenge is the fact that this process, as we say, around the creating a common agenda can take some time, which I think sometimes when we've met with uh, different collaboratives or practitioners that sometimes that that can be a hard truth because sometimes it, it seems like, oh, it'll be easy to come together because we all have this idea of what we want to work on. And then it can be difficult once you start realizing that coming together around understanding what your goal is and understanding and aligning your activities and things like that. Sometimes that just the idea of creating that goal can take six months or 12 months to feel really good, even enough about that good enough goal that you understand that you probably have to adapt later. Mm -hmm. Um, So I can see that also be as a challenge as people are, are, and we talked about this before in a previous episode when people rush through this, this discussion, uh, either whether creating the goal or, or rush through and not, think about trust and relationships and then things can fall apart later. So it, I think another challenge that we just want to underscore too is that sometimes this step can take time and we don't always budget that time in, but that time can be really necessary. That's a great point, Tracy. Thanks for mentioning that. Definitely agree. And I think once you are get to a a certain point, a couple months in, what we do see kind of helping folks that do have some kind of process or planning fatigue is looking for thinking about planning and doing in parallel. So maybe it's taking on some smaller projects or quick wins along the way. Um, and it, not at all to undermine the importance of the planning because we've hopefully made it clear that that's so important. But planning and doing is one way that some collaboratives have found helpful to keep those folks who have a bit of process fatigue at the table. So Jen, Robert, we've reached the part of the podcast where we are now in the future for listeners. For anyone who's seen Wayne's World, I'll do the sound effect of the now we are in the future. It is now July 2020, which I think we've I think we did part of this episode or the first half of this episode in late February or early March 2020. And so much has changed. And when I was coming back to this, the topic of common agenda, I knew that we had, if we wanted to share this, we had to do an addendum in addition to this conversation to talk about COVID-19, the economic downturn, and all the protests to support Black lives and how this, all these things, all these interlocking issues will maybe affecting your common agenda. So thank you for, for listeners. There has been, it's all been one episode, but for Jen, Robert. Thank you for joining us again. <laughs> Hello from my basement in Berkeley. <laughs> there. So for listeners, so the pandemic and the subsequent downturn and the protests to support Black Lives has affected the work of many collaboratives. And for some, they may be finding difficulty mobilizing partners or the community around a common agenda that may feel either very uncertain right now or less relevant compared to meeting the immediate crisis needs. If a collaborator is is feeling that tension of what to do with their agenda, for instance, should they keep it? Should they wait for things to even out in their communities uh, when their communities have reached a more healthier place? Or should they revisit the common agenda now and see if it needs changing? Uh, For Jen and Robert, what questions should they be considering? And do you have any recommendations to share? Sure. Yeah. Thanks, Tracy. Uh, Robert, I'm happy to jump in and uh, we can pass the baton. 
Yeah, I think that here we are in July, and we know at least as of today, there are very few states where the COVID-19 is on the decline. And so I think that we are not going back to normal, as they say. Uh, Side note, we probably don't want to return to how things were anyway, but we are not going back to normal anytime soon in terms of our lifestyles um, and ability to be with large groups and do a lot of things in person and commute on public transit and all of the types of things that we know as, as how things were in the past. And so I think waiting out or pausing isn't really a realistic option because I would imagine that most folks that have come together to do collective impact work to the point where you have a meaningful common agenda are working on things that can't wait in your community. Can't, you know, can't wait. 6, 12, 18 months to just pick things back up. And so if you wait, I just think that long, you'll, you'll lose relevance and lose any momentum and commitment and relationships that folks have. And so I think the question is like, how can I be valuable right now as a collaborative? How can we contribute to what's happening in the community? And that's going to certainly look different everywhere. But I think a, a starting point is thinking about looking at both what you hear from what you see in data on your issue. So where are the needs for what populations are things getting dramatically worse in many communities that is for black folks or for Latinx populations, for indigenous folks, you know, who is suffering the most right now? And if they weren't already at the center of your common agenda, looking at perhaps shifts to meet the needs of the most vulnerable right now. I think looking, so, but not only looking at data um, in an ivory tower or at your desk, but in conversation with community groups, folks with lived and living experience about how to best be of service right now. And so sometimes we talk about that as content and context experts and information. And I think now more than ever to, to use an overused phrase right now, that's really important. So, I, and I, I would just say, I, I'm premising this all on the assumption that like common agendas need to change uh, because we find ourselves in a really different situation than when I imagine most common agendas were created. So you might have focused, you might be an education initiative that has um, shifted to really focus on, from, on, shifted from previous goals to uh, internet access for families in the community and really trying to shift to what is really needed on your big umbrella topic um, right now at, the, at this point. So I'll, I'll pause there for Tracy, any follow-up or Robert reflections you might have? Sure, I'll just build on that. I, I was had some similar thoughts, Jen, and a few other things I'd, I'd add into the mix for, for existing collaboratives. I was thinking about it along three three levels. There's, I think there's affirming why you're doing the work as a collaborative, which might be, we've already stated that we're centering our work around anti-black racism, or we're already uh, centering the work around equity. But if not, this could be an opportunity to revisit your guiding principles, which might be one of those foundational aspects of your common agenda. So that's one is kind of affirming the why and the kind of just the groundwork for why you're doing the work. I, th I think there's another level, which some of this you spoke to, Jen, around revisiting maybe what you're focused on as a collaborative. So aside from the why, there's the the what, which is, you know, how are we defining the problem now? Is there, to your point, Jen, is there 
additional data that's coming in around disparities that maybe reinforces what we were already focused on, or should we potentially shift, which then I think could lead you to identifying maybe new goals or strategies. Um, so that's like kind of second category of like potentially revisiting what you're focused on. And then I think there's a whole category of things that you started to talk to Jen around rethinking how you're engaging partners in the collaborative and how that connects to your common agenda. So that might mean, you know, bringing in more context experts or potentially aligning your collaborative with other collaboratives. We've seen some really interesting examples of how uh, collaboratives have essentially looked for ways to connect the dots between kind of multi-issue coalitions to really rally around the most urgent needs. So I'm thinking about it on the kind of the why and the what and then the how. For any groups that were just about to get started forming their common agenda, so maybe right before the pandemic, they were they were bringing everything together to to pool their to start their collective impact initiative. Do we have any recommendations or things to consider when we are in a time of so much flux and uncertainty? I'm thinking about some things that our colleague Paul Schmitz has talked about with uh, collaboratives about giving each other grace. I would think you need that for existing collaboratives, but I'm thinking about for new collaboratives where there might be this um, urgency to want to get started and get things done. But I imagine that the pace at which new collaboratives are going to get off the ground and structured and just not being able to physically come together and the time you need to build in for building trust, that's just one thing that comes to mind is just being um, ha- having a, a sense of urgency, but also being um, being open-minded to the fact that structuring a collaborative and really focusing on the most urgent needs uh, that are coming out around COVID-19 or around the growing concerns around uh, racial inequality, uh, that's not going to happen overnight. So I think that's just one thing that comes to mind right out of the gates is acknowledging the complexity and the messiness of this work. It doesn't mean that you can't identify some early wins and some make some progress, but Collective impact was already, we were talking to a colleague the other day, the collective impact was already challenging before COVID-19. And now you throw in the mix, all of these interconnected challenges and the distancing, social distancing, and it, it makes it the order of magnitude maybe even, even higher. So I don't say that to discourage new collaboratives, but just to be really upfront with partners as you're coming together that we realize that you know, times are really challenging to, to do this, but, you know, all the more important to build urgency and, and to bring people together. Yeah, I was also thinking about the urgency question, Robert, and I think if a new collaborative is starting now, there really has to be a sense of urgency, and if it is an urgent community issue, it's not something you want to wait on, and if people have that fire in their belly to do the work, like, you know, in many cases now, now is a time um, when the need is greater, and so Perhaps if you're getting started, it's actually asking people who you have been engaging or were hoping to engage if they still do feel like it is, you know, the thing you were going to come around, come together around, is that still an urgent issue in the community? And I'd ask that not only in, of people in formal positions of power, but also of folks in, in community. Is, is this something, you know, is our sense that this is urgent as the convener? Does that hold for you all as well? If it does still seem like um, there is that commitment and sense of urgent urgency to do the work, then you know figuring out in conversation with folks what the pace is that they feel like they can you know time and uh, the pace that they can move at. Uh, to Robert, Robert, to your point, I mean Zoom isn't ideal, but I think it's better than waiting. 
because we don't know how long folks would be waiting. So uh, the other thing I was also thinking about, and Robert, you mentioned this a little bit too, is starting to think of starting by thinking not only about the big picture planning, but what are some quick wins or pilots that maybe could make sense that are not as big a lift as a way to get started. And those also are great ways to build trust and relationships uh, by having folks roll up their sleeves together rather than just sitting and planning at the 50,000 foot level. So if there are things you can identify that are related or kind of consistent with your big picture topic that you could get started on without feeling like you have to craft a perfect common agenda, then that might be one thing to take on now is kind of starting smaller and looking for more bite-sized opportunities for collaboration. You got you brought up a great point too, Jen, about just you know talking with your partners and understanding what their constraints are. I think for for so many folks right now, you know, there's so much uncertainty around around school and around work and and things like that. So just having a very compassionate view for your partners and how we're all in this, how uh, like we, we're all sharing this experience, not all at the same level and, and all at the same level of crisis and harm, uh, but we are all sharing this experience together. And to, to note that, you know, so many folks are struggling to get everything done or to support their families. Uh, so whatever grace we can give as we start a new initiative or as we switch gears is, is going to be so valuable and will help to, to Robert's point earlier, to will help with building that trust that is the, such a concrete foundational point to any successful collaborative. Well, Robert, Jen, thanks for, for jumping to the future with me uh, or, in our, or really in our current timeline so we can finish uh, doing talking about the common agenda and uh, just really appreciate you both. And we look forward to continuing the discussion on collective impact next time. Thank you. And this closes out this episode of the Collective Impact Forum podcast. If you are interested in learning more about what was discussed, we've included information in the footnotes for this episode. The intro music for this episode was composed by Raphael Crooks, and our outro music is composed by Kevin McLeod. We want to share two bits of news. First, for those interested, the forum just launched our call for sessions for the 2021 Collective Impact Virtual Convening, which will be held next April. If you are interested in sharing out your experiences to a wide audience of backbone teams, funders, partners, and community members, we hope you will submit a session concept. Applications are due September 25, 2020. To find out more, visit our 2021 convening page which you can find in the events section of our website at collectiveimpactforum.org. And for those interested in more learning events, registration is closing soon for the Champions for Change 2020 virtual workshop that will be held on September 15th through 17th, 2020. This online workshop will focus on the role of the backbone in collective impact and is especially geared for those in the early stages of their collective impact work. One big plus for hosting a virtual workshop is that we're recording all the sessions and sharing those recordings with attendees after, so you won't have to worry about missing a session. You'll have access to them all. Registration for this year's workshop closes on Friday, September 11th. Check out the event section of our website at collectiveimpactforum.org for more information. This is Tracy Timmons-Gray, Associate Director here at the Collective Impact Forum and your podcast host. I want to say thank you so much for listening and we look forward to connecting with you more in our next episode. Until next time, we hope you are safe and well.